In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen, or in this case, that we're both seeing for the first time, I guess. The formula has completely fallen apart. I'm Eric Johnson. <laughs> and I'm Emily Jones. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. And those episodes mostly do actually follow a formula, unlike this one. Um, <laughs> so yesterday, we talked about A Wrinkle in Time, the book, which means that now it's time for, drumroll please... Okay, I don't have a drum. I just have my laptop. I probably just damaged it somehow. Oh, good. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time, the movie. Woo! This just came out a couple weeks ago. It's directed by Ava DuVernay. It stars Storm Reed, Mindy Kaling, Reese Witherspoon, and, of course, Oprah. And now we've both seen it. Yay. Uh, you should Yay. you should also go see it because we are going to spoil it. Go, go, go. Go to the movies. It's still at a theater near you, probably. Go watch it because after this, we are going to spoil everything. back and hopefully you are also back from the movie theater um so neither of us is exactly the geek here uh not really I, no. <laughs> I, i'm the geek on the book but the movie obviously is is new to both of us um but i saw it a couple weeks ago and eric uh, literally you just sat down from seeing it in the movie theater so we recorded our podcast about the book <laughs> i left my house to go to the movie theater i came back from the movie theater and sat down to record this podcast so could not have timed it any tighter. <laughs> All right. So what did you think? Um, it was fine. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, I, I thought, I thought yeah, Emily's making a face. Um, I'm making a sad face. I loved it so much. I was, uh, I think I said something at the end of the book podcast to the effect that I expected Disney to make it into an action film, and I was half joking, but also not totally wrong in that point. There was some added stuff that was like, really? Did, did we need that necessarily? Like, did that have to be there? But, uh, you know, it, I was fine with it. I think um, my that gut was, check is... Sorry to interrupt when I know we're asking oh, yeah. for your gut check, but I have to say, like, if I have one criticism of the movie... Um, and I really don't, I mean, I have some things, but whatever. If I have one actual complaint coming out of the movie, like, it, it would definitely be those action sequences. There were, I can def, I can yeah. think of two in particular that were just, um, just completely, no. Just, they were, they were literally there because, like, somebody looked at their watch and was like, shit, 
it's been an hour and like nothing, <laughs> like nobody's adrenaline's gotten going. Like we better have somebody fall so that there's like an action sequence, like some yep. peril. It was just like, no. Anyway, your gut check. I, it definitely reeked of studio meddling. But anyway. It did. Um, my gut check was that it was actually more faithful than I was expecting. Like there were, there was more stuff that I was like, oh, hey, that was definitely in the book. Um, overall, though, I think I enjoyed the book more, even though as previously discussed, I wasn't, I think, quite as big of a, you know, uh, fan of the book as you are. But I think um, my kind of, and I realize this, this is like, it's, it's it's not entirely fair since it's a different barometer than what I apply to movies that are not adapted from existing material. But whenever there's a book adaptation or a history adaptation, kind of in my head, I can't help but think, you know, and I also thought this actually about when we talked about the live action Beauty and the Beast where, where, where they were kind of adapting the animated film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm always in my head when I'm watching those kind of, in the, at least in the background, not like super consciously, but I'm always thinking to an extent about how does this compare to oh, the yeah. thing it originally came from. You can't help that. Um, and I, I was struggling to come up with a, you know, a killer reason why this should be like the canonical version of a wrinkle in time. Huh. Like, I think you can make a, like, so like, let me make a, a, a controversial uh, opinion here. I think you can make a strong case that the Lord of the Rings movies, even though they are very different from the books in, in a lot of ways that you can consider those, the canonical version of that story. Like you don't necessarily have to read the books. Whereas if someone had only seen this movie, I would say mm, you should go read the book. Hmm. So that's kind of okay. the, the that's kind of the test I'm applying in my head when I evaluate any sort of adapted thing. Same thing when I'm seeing like a historical drama versus watching a documentary. Same thing with Beauty and the Beast with a remake of an animated film. Um, I I'm not entirely sure that's a fair way of assessing things. Yeah, I'm not it is sure not, it is either. But it's the way I it's the way I think about it. And you know that that's what I was my that was my feeling walking in the movie theater was it was fine. Um, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I also didn't feel like, um, you know, I, I, I tried to come up with a positive way of, of how would I pitch this to someone as the canonical version and I could not get there. Yeah. I, okay. So I struggle with that, that canonical version test. Cause I feel like books and movies are very different things. And with the case of, with the case of something like L- the Lord of the Rings, maybe like, the book is such the books are such a deep investment um of of time and they're so fucking long is what i'm trying to get at um that that i could see wanting to wanting to discuss like having the movies as like a potential alternative but like i don't know i feel like that's never my goal going into a book adaptation of a movie to be like well could this replace the book like i that's just not that's not even on the table for me um so i'm just gonna kind of like not really deal with that a little bit because i again i don't know that that's a fair test but i'm actually um i was part of the reason i was so interested to see what you thought of the movie was because i I was I actually felt like um I felt like uh, the movie maybe did a better job with some of the things that you struggled with in the book that oh, I was like, I, that I, I was like that. I was thinking that you might you might be so like you, you might be more into what the movie some of the ways that the movie handles things like um it was a mixed bag I think some of the things I specifically called out in the book podcast you're right the movie did better 
Like, I think... But like, it's also stuff I didn't like about the movie. Like, one of the... Well, yeah. Uh, so, one of the first things that, that you said in the, the book podcast, um, and that was probably, like, the, the main... The one main time during the book podcast where I really had to bite my tongue and be like, I can't say, <laughs> like, I can't wait. To, I'll be interested to see what you say in the movie was when you talked about not really connecting with all of the diff- all of the little places that they visit. Because mm-hmm. um, that was something I felt like the movie did a great job with and also maybe even did did better than the book one of my favorite so there were there the movie made several like changes from the book and I I think most of them were actually really uh, with the exception of the unnecessary action sequences which I agree I I haven't read anything to this effect but I agree that those felt very much like studio meddling to me oh yeah I haven't read any reviews or anything I mean I've kind of seen people like errant tweets here and there but I had no like preconceived sense of like that there there were actually going to be these added action scenes but like I you know what I mean though like oftentimes even if you're trying to avoid reviews like you know like we both we, we all know that like there's been there's been like issues with the Han Solo movie right like we know like the director right. changed part right through and like all this shit you know you you absorb that information and so like but like so I haven't I don't have anything like that that like I know that they had to do reshoots or like anything like that but I agree that right. that felt like studio meddling but no one of the one of the big changes um that I thought was a really smart decision in the movie was mm-hmm. um the way that the the journey to find the dad is it's like it's a journey of discovery that they're all on together um it the the mrs who mrs watson and mrs which as far as i can tell in the movie don't know where the dad is and like right. they're they're going and they're trying to find him and they're having to like ask people and ask the flowers and actually ask the happy medium mm-hmm. whereas in the book it it feels very like they already know and they're just like getting the kids ready for their trip and it feels this very like it's it's I don't know it's like they're going through these like weird steps it's like like yeah like oh well you have to do this to prepare for your mysterious journey and you have to do that to prepare for your mysterious journey and we're not going to tell you what these pieces mean but here you are whereas Mm. in this it was like they were all in the movie they were all sort of solving this mystery together and I really really like that change um because it did. I, it, I, I hadn't noticed that, but you're totally right. That that is that's a big improvement over over how they how they talk in the book. Yeah, and it it felt like um so so I was I was sort of hoping that you might you might feel more more kind of connected and invested in all of those like different worlds and steps along the journey because they kind of I don't know they feel more like a trip that we're all on together instead of like this weird like experiential learning thing that they're like <laughs> some sort I, of I like instructional kind of... seminar. I don't know. <laughs> It's it's two sides of or it's two very different. Um, how do I, how to phrase this? So, with the book, I was having trouble with like getting invested in stuff beyond just like the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the movie, um, this is something that I've noticed seems to be true for a lot of a lot of like recent uh, Disney like CGI heavy Disney movies is like. Um, I'm not sure how to phrase this. It's like an uncanny valley type thing with a, when they have like an alien world or whatever. I, and maybe this is also partly a reflection of like the weird added action scenes and the added peril. Nothing really felt real here, so it's a different. It's a different problem than what I had with the book, where I just didn't really like get into the style of it. Whereas here, it actually was almost sort of alienating. Sort of the yeah, you know, as I think about it. Like okay, let's talk in specifics about something here. <laughs> so, <laughs> on is it is it Uriel the first planet yes. they go to? Is that yeah? On Uriel, um, like in the book, there's a scene where like they're riding on the centaurs and they're going up, and like it there is something resembling an action beat 
there where we're at least they're they're at least the discovery part of it where they're seeing the world mm-hmm. um right it's the first time that they see the um the the darkness right but even before the that they're they're like the riding around they they oh, are yeah, like yeah. you know right there there is something sort of like action um right there's just no like peril as there is in the movie right nobody falls <laughs> and i i guess um i don't know there's just something that feels phony about Maybe it's just that I've seen too many movies and I just I kind of can see sort of the strings a little bit of like, okay, you needed to have some added peril in the script here. I don't know. There was just something about um about that whole sequence where uh where they're diving and the flowers are flying up and they're catching him and then there's um and instead of the centaurs you have this stingray made out of kale or whatever whatever <laughs> she is. Um <laughs> Like, it's all felt it's a little bit, I I don't know, there's something just off, I can't quite put my finger on it, but that that felt um, phony about it. I I do think, I do think I, I do think I, I get where you're coming from. Like, when you use, I think when you used the phrase Uncanny Valley, like, you, I don't know, that was, that was sort of the, the, the best, most illustrative phrase, I think, that you struck on (laughs) in this, in, in this attempt. Like, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, it, it. Like you can tell, you can tell that the whole world is. You can tell it's like a whole CGI planet. Like it's not. Yes. And none of so none of it, none of it feels like a real place. It feels like it feels like you're. I'm sorry, I'm still watching Star Trek. It feels like you're in the holodeck or something. Although the ho- actually the holodeck always feels real. Yeah, the holodeck seems very but, realistic. Well, yeah, because no, they don't because the, the, they the, don't really have is... CGI. But no, but it feels like. I, it's a planet from the Star Wars prequels. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's like when they go to Naboo and like they're they're frolicking yeah. the fields and there's all the giant or potato creatures. I was gonna say I was gonna say it's the Windows XP background planet. That um, <laughs> like I no I get I get what you're saying. You're though, always where, like, totally the Windows XP background. Where, you're right. <laughs> where like nothing nothing feels nothing feels tangible. Like you can tell. Like, um, or when they go to see the happy medium and they're balancing on the rocks, you know that they're on a giant blue screen set. Like right. that, that whole yeah, exactly. set piece just reeked a blue screen, you know? Right. It's not like, you know, in, since we mentioned the Lord of the Rings earlier, like in the Lord of the Rings, there are similarly like unrealistic, I unrealistically idyllic, yes. like mountain and grassland landscapes but you also know that that's literal like grass that they're standing on. There's plenty of CGI involved and some of it does not look that great in 2018 <laughs> anymore. But but like the stuff that's CGI is like the Oliphants and shit. It's not like the literal like grass and like horses, right, like the, horses the, that they ride on and that kind of stuff. And this is like there's nothing that that seems like a tangible horse that they're riding on. Right, not. And, and, fel- and fellowship when they go into Mines of Moria, right, and they get attacked by the cave troll, the CGI for which has not aged well, but right. it's still much more plausible, and the peril of that scene is plausible because they're like is smashing columns, and then there's actual like the rocks physical interaction with the world where they're running around, and it feels very just the I think I think it has to do with just the way that th- those scenes are directed and maybe just like lit or something like that. Where, where whereas like in the happy medium stuff where they're all balancing on the rocks, you know that was that was, like I said, I never at any point thought that they were anywhere more than a foot off the ground. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I I I don't know. Um, no, I see. I I I I I guess I didn't get. Um... I didn't have I didn't have the problem that you did with with it when I was wa- with this when I was watching the movie but but yeah. I, I I definitely I get 
I get your criticism. I see where I totally yeah. see where that's coming from. I feel you. Like I said, it didn't yeah. it didn't it didn't bother me. Like it wasn't an issue for me. But um, but I don't know. I was also approaching this. I think from a pretty different perspective because like. Yeah, well, why don't you talk about how you like you? What was your gut check well, when you saw it? In- so my thing. Oh my god, I fucking I loved it. I was I was okay. I was in tears for like a good portion of it, honestly. Like I, honestly, there were there were so many little children and especially like young girls in the theater. Like I was like already I was like already in tears. Like as the movie started, just about like <laughs> the the little girls getting all inspired by the story and like what I was like. I'm like I was like I was a freaking mess the entire time. Like to be perfectly honest. Um. So yeah, I was like really I was like really connecting super hard with the emotions and like not necessarily paying attention to whether I believed that the grass was real um and yeah so so I I was like bowled over by it and I mean in the same way that you described not the not the idea of of searching for sort of an alternate canonical version but um but I mean I have the same thing where like when I watch an adaptation especially an adaptation of something I love Mm -hmm. you know I um I fully understand that that movies are different than books and a movie adaptation of a book is an adaptation. It's not a literal translation of like what's happening in my brain. Like I fully get that. And I, I approach the movie adaptation from that standpoint. I'm not, I'm not here to be like little miss persnickety. Like, well, you changed this from the book. But of course I can't, especially (laughs) having just reread the book, not that long before I saw the movie. Of course I can't help sitting there with a little checklist in my head, marking off all of the things that hap that either Mm -hmm. they do or that, that change. Um, But what I found in that, in that tally for me was that all of the changes or at least most of the changes um, were really, really positive for me. I felt like, I felt like everything that they, that she changed, they, whatever that was different from the books Mm. just, just worked better. You know, there's a lot of stuff, not necessarily worked better than the book. I like, I don't want to like criticize or like take away from the book, but the book is also super old. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's dated both in terms of just like references and what we find, what we find scary now to all the way to Mm -hmm. like, to like stuff that's like sort of problematic now. Like, um, well, I'll start with the, I'll start with the latter, um, the, because it's sort of maybe easier the, um, you know, stuff from the original that's like kind of problematic in 2018 in a way that it. Like, like maybe, well, so for instance, like Meg's, Meg's like super hyper focus on her appearance and her mother's appearance and comparing the two. And like, she constantly calls herself plain and like, mm. there's so much focus on her, on her, her appearance and like that being one of her failings. And like, obviously that is a, that's like a huge issue still for, for people and, and, you know, ev- everyone, especially women in, in this world for sure. But there's a there's a sense in the book that like the book is sort of uncritical about that like yeah the book doesn't dispute that meg is like plain and has mousy hair like it's like not it doesn't mm. you know it it kind well, of whereas the movie very much engaged with the reasons why that is a bad frame of mind well, and like, not only very... not only that but the movie actually turned that into something that's more charged and relevant and also the yeah. movie the movie felt critical of that perspective so it's canon yeah. as we discussed during the book it is canon <laughs> that meg hates her appearance and hates her hair specifically it mentions her hair all the time 
And yeah. so just even the fact of casting Meg as a black girl with natural hair adds so much dimension that is still like incredibly fraught and complicated and difficult and very like real in our society with with Meg and her and her issues with her hair as opposed to like the book the book to me sometimes kind of like it actually feels like it sort of agrees with her about like Hmm, her 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 appearance and and how she's like not pretty or whatever um, the book doesn't have the temptation of you could be the pretty version of Meg, the one the one that we see in the movie that kind of uh, dances around her at the end there. Like, oh yeah, I actually it? I don't think it does. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I thought that was very effective. Yeah, I thought, I thought that, that was, was probably the, the most effective that was part effective, of the wasn't it? it scene. And she had straight hair. <laughs> She yeah, had she, straight she had straight hair, straight hair. That. and like, and she dressed like Veronica, and uh-huh. she kind of had, yeah, yeah, and um, and but then like also earlier on in the movie, there's like there's a moment where she's like doing something with her hair, and Calvin says he likes her hair, and she says, "Don't say that, don't say that," you yeah. know, and the, I just mean like the. I don't know the the movie the movie just kind of it adds it adds a dimension and it sort of interrogates this in what what in the book to me feels like a really kind of outmoded mid-century mm-hmm. way of dealing with a girl's self-image and self-esteem so like that's what I mean in terms of like updating problematic type stuff yeah and then my other thing my other category and I, there's other problematic things too that, that I thought the movie updated but the, like my other sort of thing about um feeling like the movie like some of the changes it made were were just to give us the same feeling in 2018 that mm-hmm. that the way it is in the book like is supposed to convey in 1962 or whenever the book came out right um like the way that the way that stuff on Kamazots is different and sp- and the way that central central intelligence is different um mm-hmm. You know, it's not the giant building with the vault doors or whatever it is in the book. It's you just kind of teleport there with Charles Wallace, right? Well, and and the whole encounter with the dude with the red eyes. You know, in the book, it's yeah. this, it's this big like it's this like big sort of stony figure. You know, up on a pedestal, da- a dais. Mm. That, I think that was how I learned the word. I think dais. that was how I learned the word <laughs> dais. Um, <laughs> in fact, and isn't isn't it an old man in the book too? Uh, I don't know if he's old, but he's it's definitely like an adult man, like a like a like yeah. Mature, I was imagining him as, as like an emperor type figure, maybe because of the word dais. Well, so it's very um, it's very like that uh that ad. Is it an Apple ad? I think it's an Apple ad. The 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 famous Think Different ad where it's yeah. like the the like all the drones and they're watching the screen and the speech and then somebody runs in and like oh that's not Think Different. That's the 1984. Uh, that, that that's where she throws the hammer at the screen. Right. Is it an Apple yeah. ad though? Yeah, that's okay. an Apple ad. So but it's an Think Apple Different ad. was ten years later. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we are one people, one will, one resolve, one cause. But the point is that the famous Apple ad, like, like that's kind of the that's and I realize that ad is like 20 years after the book came out. But like that that sense of like that mode of of what is uncanny and what is unsettling and what is what is big and scary and you know like it feels now very very dated i mean like 
That's the whole joke. I get that. That's the whole joke when it comes up in Futurama and the guy comes from the eighties and has them redo that precise ad. Is that like in the in the 30th century, it's like, well, this is stupid and like super outdated. And like our enemies should be eaten by squirrels. And we shall bow down and worship to ourselves. Hey, we were watching that! They conveyed that whole the the sense of sort of creeping unease and of control and of not being able to get through. Like they they did it in a way that felt more um, doing it on the crowded beach as opposed to right. in the yeah it's a different sort of conformity. yeah like a different sort of conformity and like you know the, the kind of like the enemy could be anywhere kind of thing instead of it being this big guy on a dais. It's like this mm-hmm. random stranger who seems like he's nice and, and, and all of that sort of thing that like, yeah. you know, it, it, it was, it was a super extreme departure from the way it's described in the book, but it felt like an update made to, to give us the same sense and the same feeling, but in 2018, as opposed to, you know, 50 years ago. Um, no, I, I and that's agree, how I felt I about, about like most of the changes that they made. <laughs> Shutting up. <laughs> I, I agree 100% on, on the point about the, the man with the red eyes or the movie, just red, I guess is what he calls himself. He says, hi, I'm red. I thought that was way, uh, that, that was way more effective than uh, the comparable scene in the book for the reasons you're describing. And also one thing I'd add on top of that is that in the book, it's kids in a place that they're not supposed to be mm-hmm. whereas here it's kids in a place where you would expect to see kids and so, so, so it's sort of like you know um are they trespassing on a big you know industrial type building or are they just out in the world and then being you know lured by 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 this by this predatory right. man with red eyes right um so yes so yeah um it's like it's yeah, no. like Kamazats. Well, and and Kamazats seem to have some sort of weird shape shifting thing that again is not in the book. Um, yeah. But again, I didn't mind that. But it seemed like Kamazats was like adapting itself to kind of lull the children into into yes. a sense of false security, which obviously central central intelligence as described in the book does not do that for children. Yeah, it's it's a big scary building with big doors and yeah and adults. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I I, I don't want to come off as like too critical like i did enjoy that change and i did enjoy still a lot of the same stuff that i enjoyed about the book so like i felt like they they did meg's character really well i I think that they um i wasn't thinking about the stuff with her appearance but now that you say it i I think you're absolutely right that they um added to what was already the strongest character characterization in the book They, they made it even better um I do want to talk about those added action sequences, though, okay. because I, I yeah I didn't like them. <laughs> they annoyed me. They annoyed me too, but I, I it's it's more than just annoy because okay, so let, let's let's talk about the uh, the showdown with it, or I, I, I guess the it or however you call it. Yeah, that was I don't know why they kept saying the it, but yeah. anyway, I guess because it would be um, too confusing to have them just say it. I guess I don't know. See, and I wasn't I wasn't thinking of the showdown with the it as one you of the action sequences. The, I was thinking the of the falling end of the hurricane and Yeah, I was thinking of Calvin falling off of the kale creature and of <laughs> the bizarre storm physics yeah, whatever the that fuck was that was uh when they first got to Kamazots. 
Those were the my, action my, sequences my I was thinking of. Inference was I think they just needed a scene to reinforce that Meg is actually smart because they yeah. spent so much time with Reese Witherspoon telling her that she's worthless. <laughs> yeah. And so I think they just needed a scene for Meg to just kind of really prove herself and be like, look, physics. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like that was that was what I got from it, too. But it was also just like, I feel like we could have done that in a way that didn't yeah. that didn't waste a bunch of time, because actually when we came out of the movie, sorry, I'll let you get back to what you're saying yeah. in a second um when we came out of the i saw it with my parents and when we came out of the movie my dad was like my mom and i were like gushing and we loved it my dad was like i loved it too but like so many movies i see nowadays like i feel like it was half an hour too long and i was like well let me tell you what i would have cut these two action sequences <laughs> and then we would have been in, in a time that you would like dad yeah um but anyway back to the battle with the it back to the battle with the it i don't know M- maybe Maybe they needed all of the, like, you know, violent, like, what seemed to be extremely violent, like, brain tentacles or whatever was going on there, where it was, like, lashing out at her and roping her around and just, like, throwing her to the ground. I felt like that scene in the book and the whole idea of her rescuing him with love, I felt like that worked because it was a cerebral thing or because it was an emotional cerebral thing. And that it wasn't a physical confrontation. Mm, And so having a scene with all these CGI, you know, brain snakes, like, lashing out (laughs) at her, like, I I felt, I I don't know, maybe I'm I'm reading too much into it, but it felt almost like it it defeated the point in a way. Like... I I do think I see what you're getting at, because, like, the... And it's and it would be really difficult to convey on film, but like all of the battles that are happening in the book happen in their minds. Like they keep yes. they keep like shouting verses of Shakespeare and stuff at at it and and doing you know shouting out scientific facts and doing things to try to keep like jog their brains off of the off of the like controlling pulsing throb that it like controls the whole planet. And so, um, and yeah, all of that was like pretty much missing. Like the battle wasn't happening inside their heads the way that it does in the book. But but there was still an element of uh, the thing that I did like was, was there was the temptation. There was Charles Mm. Wallace showing the other Meg. I felt like that would have been enough. Like I, 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 I feel like having it be a physical threat. I, I don't know. I just thought thought that part overall in the book was was more interesting and was different. Like the the, the, thing, the thing about about fantasy that when it really works is that it shows you something different. And I think just having like a giant CGI monster swatting a you know CGI rendering of a human actor around. I don't, I don't know. I just it just kind of doesn't really work for me anymore. I, I feel like it it felt like stuff I'd seen a million times, and that it was a disservice to the uniqueness of what had come before. I do think that's does fair. that make sense? It does. Yeah. I do think I do think that's that's fair. I um I think I might have the example that you're that you are trying to come up with, um for like uh like what you might have preferred to see, which is um in the seventh harry potter movie meaning part one of deathly hallows right part part one of deathly hallows um when when harry and ron go to destroy the locket and harry opens the locket but ron's gonna be the one to to destroy it in the previous iterations and harry actually says before he opens the locket he says now i'll have to speak to it in order for it to open when it does don't hesitate 
I don't know what's in there, but it'll put up a fight. The bit of riddle that was in that diary tried to kill me. Physically, Riddle tried to kill Harry with the basilisk. Um, but then what happens to Ron is that this, like, smoke monster comes out, and it's these, like, CGI-ified, you know, sort of, like, not actually, but but quote-unquote idealized in the way that right. the version of Meg is in this, versions of, of uh, Hermione and Harry playing on all of Ron's insecurities. And it's like... We were better without you. Happier without you. Who could look at you compared to Harry Potter? What are you compared with the chosen one? Ron, it's lying! Your mother confessed she would have preferred me as a son. What woman would take you? You are nothing. 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 It ends up not working out for the fragment of Voldemort's soul in Deathly Hallows because it actually just pisses Ron off and he goes to attack the image of Harry and Hermione kissing each other. But but the idea is like you do see like you do see like the 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 self-doubt and the flicker of insecurity in Ron's eyes because like what it does, it's like psychologically playing with him. It's 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 playing on his most like deep seated insecurities and like that would be better to kind of stick with that and leave it at that as opposed to having physical torture by neuron i guess <laughs> yeah yeah by giant neuron yeah um, you know i didn't i <laughs> to be perfectly honest like i didn't think that deeply about this scene because i was <laughs> mostly really excited about the fact that it was happening essentially inside the brain because like it looks right. like the inside of a brain right like that we all it's, we not, all, it's not a brain in the center of the room they're they're actually right, inside the which i brain. was really happy about because like that mm-hmm. i was cons- i was very concerned going in with how they were going to like visibly yeah. show the the it, it it's just called it in the book um yeah. because and frankly and have it not look like the floating <laughs> evil brains from futurama i told you i was gonna make another futurama <laughs> reference because it's like i can't help like that's another thing like every time i see those episodes of futurama i always think of kamazats and it and like that brain on the pedestal um those those all-knowing brains on futurama so like i was Mm. so i think i was watching that scene just so relieved that they didn't do that (laughs) (laughs) i was just like it's so cool that she's inside the brain of it instead of like right you know, being being tortured by by the brain, the floating cartoon brains that like I didn't even <laughs> think that deeply about what you're talking about. But no, I do. I do think that, that that is a really good point and that, you know, the battles were almost entirely non-physical in the book. That's an unfortunate thing to lose from the movie. The, the fact yeah. that, that, again, the, the battles all happen inside everyone's heads and like, yeah, there are battles with themselves in, in many ways. Um, I agree. So you're not anyway- wrong. I just hadn't thought of it. No, no. Uh, I was too busy so, crying. So that we've, we've already talked about the the uh, the uh, Kale Stingray and the the hurricane scene. I am curious what you thought of since you're the bigger fan of the book. I'm curious what you thought of the added story, the added backstory to Meg's father, to seeing so much of Chris Pine, especially early on in the movie. I liked it, um, and that was another change that I thought that I thought was good and updated. Um, updated it things to make it more mm-hmm. I don't know just just feel right for for now but like the um because in the book he's like a mysterious he works for the government and it's like a mysterious right. government experiment and in this he, he the two of them are sort of like 
like shunted out of the scientific community. And I, I don't know. I liked that. I liked that change a lot. I thought that was, I thought that was good. And I, 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 I don't know. I think I'm sick of, I think I'm a little bit sick of shady government organizations that are up to no good. You know, like we've, there's so many. We just of had them. NASA here. N- N- NASA's above board. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, but, but he is, he's sort of outside of the scientific ex- establishment. Whereas, right. whereas in the book, it's very much like, well, you know, he was in DC and he works for the government and like, it was a government experiment someone and you know they like there's there's I don't know maybe there's more trust in the government but it also feels like a sort of shadowy I don't know I just really liked that he wasn't like you know working Mm. at the working at the 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 lab in stranger things or whatever like (laughs) like because that's what it that's sort of Hawkins lab yeah yeah, like that's I think I think that's what it would have felt like if he had been this like establishment government scientist and instead he was this like you know kind of crazy dreamer with a smart idea that was kind of on the outs from from the rest of the community and also like the book does have a lot of backstory on dad not 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 backstory but like there's a lot of there's a without concerted flashbacks there's a lot of like that thing that you can do in a book where you where Mm -hmm. you you know somebody says a word and 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 they're thinking and, about and, right, their association the, with the word. Exactly. And the character can have a little aside in her head about how things mm-hmm. used to be when the dad was there and that kind of stuff. And it's like, I I, I don't know. I thought all the flashbacks with, with Chris Pine just mostly sort of conveyed all of that, the relationship with um, her dad, that 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 the book has, has a lot more room to maybe establish a little bit more subtly. I also really liked, because the book has this, this, there's this whole thing, part of why the dad it fails initially at, at saving the day, as we discussed mm-hmm. in, in the book version of this podcast, um, right. is that he doesn't really know Charles Wallace because he left when he, or because he, he disappeared when he was still a baby. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really like know him and recognize him. And um, I, this is, it's another thing where like, it doesn't actually really change anything, but I just really appreciated it. Similar to, to Meg's race and relationship with her hair, um the fact that charles wallace is adopted and meg expresses that concern baby like young meg expresses that concern about about a sense of alienation like how will we know like he's the right baby like you know like how will we Mm -hmm. know we like love him the same like all of that kind of stuff and i i just again it's not it's not really like a substantive thing but it felt like it added it felt like it added um it, a lot. It, it, it yeah, added I, a dimension to to yeah. some 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 gunk that was already there. Like there's like a little seed of a concept. I feel like in the book, and that really kind of in the book, he's already different from everyone else because he's a genius. And here, it's not. He's not only different because of his intellect and the fact that he was apparently speaking in full sentences as a baby, <laughs> but it's but it's also the fact that he came into the family from outside. Sort of sort of sort of. You you get you Meg can verbalize a sense of him being different through that relationship rather than them talking about his history of being precocious. Y- yes, that and 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 also though like specifically the the alienation with the dad that comes from um this the long separation that was at, mm. in such a formative time for Charles Wallace's life that the dad basically has like kind of no connection to him when when they arrive on Kamazots, which again happens in the book and so there's like there's like this little seed of of this idea that that there's more to family than mm-hmm. just 
blood relation. Like it's it's not enough to just be someone's biological parent or biological sibling or whatever. Like you 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 there's also there's also time and experience and and love and all of these kinds of things that that make you a family and make make a father and son have a relationship and and that kind of stuff and like um I don't know I don't I don't have a point and I'm not sure that the movie does either but I just like I really appreciate that it that it took this little kind of seed of an idea about about like how how families are made and what what constitutes a family and and all of this kind of stuff and just kind of added added more layers it added to it. another layer it yeah. added layers no, I th- yeah uh, the, you, you reached a point that, that, that counts as a point <laughs> yeah so i don't know i guess i guess i was just kind of so like bowled over by by those aspects of the movie and the fact that i was surrounded by like little girls who were getting inspired <laughs> that they could be a hero that i again like i didn't even notice that well you know it's, it's always it's always interesting like what different things we pick up on especially um stuff the stuff that you said in this this podcast that i that i liked that i didn't really realize how much i liked it and uh, so well and similarly there's a lot of stuff that that as you say it i'm like you're not wrong like i just it it goes both directions i was not i was not super tuned into it but you're totally right about that like (laughs) how did you feel about the the missus and also zach galifianakis as uh, the happy medium those four what, what did you think about them i liked them um i mean they're they're super different from how the missus are and the happy medium are described um in the book but like i was i was on board with it like i i don't know i liked them i thought they were i thought they were charming and fun i loved especially that um did we say it was mrs who uh Mindy Kaling was the what is Mindy Kaling yeah yeah i loved i loved that Mindy Kaling's references were updated and like yes can we talk about the thing that we haven't talked about yet? Tomorrow there'll be more of us, Miranda, yes! American. <laughs> Speaking of moments when I burst into tears again on top of my existing tears. like For, 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 the, for anyone who doesn't know, that's a quote from Hamilton, which we have obsessed over since we did it on this podcast a couple years ago. I guess a year and a half ago. Raise a glass to the four of us. Tomorrow there'll be more of us. Yeah, and it actually like it actually took me a second to connect like what it was. <laughs> yeah, Miranda. Yeah, it took since you say such a thing, and it's just Lynn. <laughs> well, no, the reason it actually took me a second was because I'm so used to thinking of Mindy Kaling as Mindy Lahiri from the Mindy Project, uh-huh. which you haven't seen. We're gonna watch it at some point for the podcast. But that okay. character is very um, engrossed in um, in celebrity culture and in romantic mm-hmm. comedies and in. Um, I don't know, a whole, that, that sort of whole realm of media and entertainment. She watches all of like every reality show that there is. And she's again, obsessed with romantic comedies and all of this kind of stuff. So hearing Miranda out of Mm -hmm. Mindy Kaling's mouth, my brain, (laughs) my brain went sex in the city before it went Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) That, (laughs) that was why it took me a second. I was like, Miranda, wait, her last name isn't Miranda. (gasps) tomorrow there'll be more of us oh my god like it it took me like it took me a couple beats and then i was so busy discussing other aspects of the movie with again i saw it with my parents um that Mm -hmm. it wasn't until like a good hour after we after we had uh were done with the movie and like my dad and i were walking the dog and i don't even know what made me think of it but i literally like 
hopped up and down, like overcome with unable to talk, inability to talk for like a second and was like, oh my God, wait. And like had to explain it to my dad who has still not listened to Hamilton and like does not particularly care. But then I played the song for my dad. Wait, so it hit, it hit you a second time. You were excited when you when you realized it in the theater. But then I remember it, it, to, you remembered I remember, it later on. When I remembered to tell my parents about it. Because we got yeah, sidetracked yeah. talking about other elements of the movie, and then we were doing something got else, it, and we were it, getting yeah. dinner, and blah, 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 blah. and then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I forgot to even tell you guys there was this <laughs> other thing that you didn't even know because you don't know Hamilton. Like, ah. And yeah, then I made them listen to the, to the story of tonight, obviously. I mean, like, what yeah, kind of daughter would obviously. I be? Um, yes, I, 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 liked, I liked Mindy Kaling a lot, and I uh, Oprah was, I think, exactly what I expected. I, I, Oprah I was Oprah. I think she, yeah, she, she was Oprah. Um, before they leave Kamazots when they're all giving the gifts, I kind of wanted Oprah to like be a little bit, and my gift to you is a car. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I kind of wanted a little bit of a, a little bit more Oprah or a little bit more of that, of that tone in there. Um, I know obviously that'd be way too in jokey. My gift is my command. Stay together. Don't let anyone separate you. I will say they were all they were all wonderful and like it was so exciting to see them all on a screen together and I thought they all embodied their characters really well but all three mm. of those women are also it I think it was it was a little difficult to separate them from yes the actors they're all themselves. too famous like they can they can disappear into roles I mean like yeah. like Reese Reese Witherspoon I've seen in plenty of stuff and she 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 can she can not disappear into a role but she she you know I'm not always as and I was probably the least conscious of her Reese Witherspoon-ness yeah than than I was the other two but but yeah they are they are very much kind of I don't know, almost almost too big to vanish into a role like that. Well, yeah, the only, the only one that actually bothered me was was Zach Galifianakis as the happy medium. Even though I <laughs> liked what he did with the character, and I thought I thought it was a nice comedic sort of break, uh, you know, to have him uh, his his lines there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't not look at him and go like, "Hey, Zach Galifianakis." Yeah, <laughs> you know, e- even Oprah is able to suspend my my recognition <laughs> for, for 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 moments here and there. Um, and she's like the most recognizable woman on the planet, but like, yeah. uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think, I think just something about Zach Galifianakis's face. I just like, I, I just wanted to go like, is this between two ferns? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was kind of struck and like, I don't think, I think it was just this movie and the facial hair that both of them have in this movie and like <laughs> Chris Pine like, and Zach Galifianakis have the same beard. Yeah. I was like a little bit struck <laughs> when she was interacting with him that I was like, you know what? Like he looks a little bit like your dad right now like yep. I like I wonder if that is like helping the two of you sort of connect mostly I think <laughs> it's that Chris Pine grew a Zach Galifianakis beard for this not really yes. not, not the <laughs> other way around but yeah no overall I liked I liked uh those characters I I was uh it seemed like they were maybe I'm just forgetting stuff it seemed like they were less comedic in the book for sure it seemed like they were more like weird than funny yeah i think that's Um, i think that's fair but i'm not not, i don't have a problem with that you know i I think that's perfectly fine decision especially when you have this sort of star power these people who can do comedic you know lines so it was just it was just different but i didn't mind it yeah Um, no same i mean like i said like they they really were they're characters that i'm not sure i really have an imagination of 
because they're so like I know it's only I know it's only Mrs. What's it that What's it is the one who steals the sheets who speaks in illusions and which is the shimmer slash Oprah. Okay, so which (laughs) then is um, I know which is the only one who actually like sometimes doesn't fully materialize and is just a shimmer. But like, I don't know. I feel like I don't ever really picture any of them. Like, I don't know. I think of them in terms of like sort of their clothes. And I I don't know. I I. Like, I was definitely imagining how, okay. Mrs. What's it would be a lot older. To mention, yes, older, yes. I, I've always thought of them as as sort of like kind of little old ladies who are then surprisingly yes. sprightly and and yes. more like. So you know how again to reference <laughs> Deathly Hallows Part One. Um, uh, it could have been Futurama. I, you you never know. <laughs> uh, I have I have I have my pool of references, and I go back to the same well frequently. Uh, <laughs> The uh, you know at the wedding and in Deathly Hallows Part One he's when he's talking yes. to Elpheus Dodge, and um, Elpheus Dodge is wearing like eighteen cardigans or shawls or something. Um, <laughs> I don't remember he that has detail, like they're sure. all like you go back and go back and look you'll see what I mean. It's like it's like he's like an old man like wrapped in like a sweater or a wrap of some kind, but he's got like a million of them. Like he has like layer on layer on layer of like collars coming out. Cause he's like, okay. Cause he's like super, super old and sort of infirm and like that kind of, not literally that, but that kind of like, I don't Just know. Bundled like, up in like four different layers. Yeah. Of like, bundled up, yeah. draped in shawls and, and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like a, again, Unkempt. like a, yeah, like a, like a, like a little old lady draped in a million layers of shawls, but then yeah. she, you know, suddenly stands up straight and, and can actually like, I don't know. She's surprisingly. Str- I feel like there's actually something very specific that I'm talking about right now that isn't a wrinkle in time. E- either there is some language in the book that led us both to that same image, or we just have both consumed too much of the same pop culture around there, the book. I think that we... there's something else that I'm thinking of that that is actually what I'm talking about. But but what okay. I'm describing is also how I've always conceptualized the the, like, the misses in this. Like when I was reading the book for, for the for the other podcast, like I was totally imagining them as exactly what you're describing. As three surprisingly, you know, sprightly, like little old ladies wrapped up in clothes, like all, all of that stuff. So, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something in the book that. I mean, I think that is how they're described in the book. Like they don't get into like their their. I don't know. That's ages that's or that's, whatever, that's but, but that's definitely how they come across in the book. I just okay. I'm having that okay. thing where where I'm being reminded of something else at the same time. Um, but it's gonna it'll as. As we well know, it'll take me forever to figure out what it is, so it's not worth discussing. Tune in but... for season seven to find <laughs> out what it is. <laughs> um, but but no, I I don't. I agree that they that they don't necessarily match how I've ever pictured them. But I'm okay with that. Like so am I. Yeah. And really, really, Galifianakis was the only one that actually <laughs> kind of distracted me. Like I'm fine with the rest. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought the way that they visualized tessering was really cool. Um, yes. Oh, oh, that, 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 that's, that's, that's something I, I remember when I was reading it, especially when I was reading it this most recent time, because I knew the movie was coming out and I was thinking about, oh, I wonder how it's going to be in the movie. I was wondering how they were going to convey Tessering because mm-hmm. so much of it is such a such a internal experience for Meg and especially the times when like she emerges and she's conscious, but they can't tell that she is yet. Like I was wondering how they were going to do that and what they did has nothing to do with how it's described in the book, but it was so like, I thought it was really cool and well done and conveyed the kind of like, agreed. This is sci-fi magic, but also like really unsettling and dangerous and weird. And yeah. Right. 
Uh, but th- that that is something that I was going to mention, which is that uh, the trailers for this movie had Meg illustrating Tesserine with the ant on a string, which which I think in the book one of the, oh, the missus yes. does with her dress. And the movie doesn't do that at all. They explain Tesserine through the, the NASA lecture where they get laughed out of the room. Think about quantum entanglement. Two electrons once bonded together in love, if you will, suddenly separated by a galaxy that somehow still just is connected. An unbroken union despite being galaxies apart. And our most recent calculations show us that these fields connect us to other dimensions. Dimensions outside of the limitations of space and time. Imagine that, imagine. Rather than enduring the oppressive rules of time and space, we could wrinkle it. 91 billion light years traveled like that. As you see on a slide behind them, you know, the, the visual illustration of Tesserine. So I'm wondering, was that scene of Meg doing that just put in the trailer because people would know that as a thing from the book? Or was there a scene that was cut in which she explained, she was the one who explained Tesserine uh, with, with the ant and the string? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that either, but I'm so glad it wasn't in the movie because that was a big... <laughs> I think I might have even alluded to, like, maybe when we previewed that we were... I don't know. It's, I, I, maybe it wasn't... You told me that you were, like, you, that, that was in the trailer and that you had to check that against the book or... Right, I don't this think... Is, I, this is outside of the podcast. You said right, something Right, okay. It. I didn't know if it was on the podcast or not, but I... I um. I don't think I, I don't know if I specified what it was, but I do remember saying to you like, "There's, there's at least one thing in the trailer that I have serious <laughs> concerns about," and it was that. It was, it was because, because again, Meg, in, um, in the book, Meg has like a really hard time like wrapping her head around tessering. And mm-hmm. the idea that she would be explaining tessering to someone was like, no! No, 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 like. Absolutely well, I was not. waiting up until the very end of the movie thinking that maybe there'd be a scene at the end where she's explaining it to someone, Someone, oh. you know. I was thinking maybe this is still going to be in there. Like the, the trailer was just deceptively edited. But but no, I think they just they just dropped it. <laughs> just could, maybe because it didn't fit the character like you're saying. Yeah, I don't know either, but I'm glad that it wasn't there. Speaking of uh, just like random things from, from book, movie, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. another thing, just to keep mentioning things that they changed in the movie that I really, really loved... I really liked the way that they conveyed the grip that the it or the darkness or whatever has on Earth. Um, in by cutting to the Veronica, the the bully, and cutting to the dad yelling at Calvin mm-hmm. and, and all that, and the the like homeless guy that has shown up before, like yeah. getting like some bar patron berating him, like. Because mm-hmm. in the in the book, basically, as they as they basically like zoom in on Earth as if they're like in some sort of satellite really far away, and as they zoom in, they see that Earth is partially engulfed in it, but they basically just kind of zoom through it to check in on their families. That's it. Yeah. And and you end up finding out about Calvin's family and that he has a difficult home life and all that kind of stuff as part of that, but it's not shown as part of the darkness and whatever. I I really liked the way that instead, in fact. It's. I wasn't even thinking about it this way, but I, it's another thing that that actually kind of addresses one of the criticisms you had of the book, which yes, was it does. that that you know the darkness feels like this sort of amorphous, like it's not an actual, it's not a, an actual antagonist, and instead of just showing it as like a cloud over the earth, they they actually showed it as um as this like 
kind of corrupting influence. Right. Exactly. A corrupting like this, like insidious, insidious thing that, that, that creeps in and, and, you know, sows all of this discord and creates all of this misery and, and creates like chains of misery too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that if the dad yells at the kid, the kid might, might be unhappy. The, 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 like the, it passes on. Sort of right. The, the like, like, or Veronica, the bully, like it mm-hmm. externalizes her self-loathing into Meg, like all, all of that. Like, yeah, I just thought that was super good and super well done. And I wasn't even thinking about it as, connected to to your criticism of the book but like it is i wasn't it, thinking about it that way too it, until, it makes yeah. it makes tangible or makes makes more real more there's a word that i'm i'm grasping for it's not not actually tangible and not corporeal like it, just specific i guess it makes it specific in yeah, a way no, in that, a way that's... that like a like a, dar- a cloud of darkness is not that's a really good point i was not thinking about that at all like but it, you're, you're totally well, right concrete. i did bring that up concrete in the book is the word i'm thinking of as opposed to abstract <laughs> <laughs> concrete <laughs> that's what i'm thinking um of. yeah you know, and, basic and... literary concepts you learn in like sixth grade when i studied this book <laughs> <laughs> and it actually comes full circle back to my like you know my complaining about the cgi stuff like the brain fight is like if if it is manifested as a corrupting influence then it, it, that's that's why it doesn't need to be a physical threat is because it mm-hmm. can do incredible damage to people it can cause like you know you know it can destroy people's lives without physically attacking them um it can make turn people into cruel you know figures who it, it can corrupt them like you know wearing a fragment of Voldemort's soul around your neck for a long period of time can also do or you know, uh, possessing the One Ring of Power, which needs to be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. You know. Yeah. Or <laughs> um, getting a shard of evil ice from a witch in your eye. I don't follow that one. The fairy tale upon which Frozen is based that Frozen bears oh. almost no <laughs> resemblance to. <laughs> yeah, I have not read that fairy tale. Yeah, uh, it's called <laughs> The Snow Queen and it's brilliant. And it has a similar concept of a kid who gets um corrupted away from everything cuz he gets this shard of ice in his eye and it's this like evil shard that gets into his heart. Huh. Anyway. Wow. There's another anyway. <laughs> there's another there's another Oh, it's another. There's all. It's also in Sabriel. <laughs> there's another thing with a <laughs> with a physical shard. That anyway. Yeah. So so you might say that this is a trope that comes up a lot <laughs> of yeah, a corrupt of a know. corrupting influence. Yeah, maybe a bit, a bit. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, I think I'm officially out of uh, stuff to say about this, but I'm glad that we did this kind of special yeah. weekend. I'm I'm glad that a I read the book first. I think that yes. I did. Um, even though I did not enjoy either as much as you do, I think I enjoyed the movie more because I'd read the book, and I think I enjoyed the book more because I was reading it through sort of a, the critical lens in preparation to do a podcast. I, th- I think the circumstances of this weekend here, um, I think, were the ideal scenario for for you know, th- th- this. This is the best chance for <laughs> for both these things. Good, so. I'm glad. Are you ready to get into more foundational? Uh foundational to to me and my life uh religious influenced fantasy literature 
I have a feeling there's a talking lion heading my way. Yeah, <laughs> at some point. I mean, it's been on the podcast list for a long time. But yeah, yeah, Lion Witch of the Wardrobe. And, it it and won't be. Other. It won't be the next thing we do. Okay. Well, no, but the next thing that we do, if, if I'm not mistaken, I, b- I believe that we have promised uh, some bonus episodes uh, we sometime. Have. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't yet have a date. We, we're not guaranteeing these are going to come out immediately. And I'm not going to make the mistake of putting a deadline on, on us <laughs> like I did. I but already no, did that But no, we do. Once. We, uh, if, if, if you recall, way back in January when the Golden Globes were happening, uh, we placed a bet on the Golden Globes that we both mutually won and lost. Um, so we'll be, we'll be torturing one another with pop culture at some point in the near future. So keep your, keep your eye on your podcast feed for, for that bit of fun. (laughs) More, more, more bonus episodes to come. Date TBD. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, until then, Emily, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at EJ reports. And I'm on Twitter at Hey, Hey, ESJ. This is giant geek versus mega noob thinking about our faults. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com. Some people stay, some people move. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. As long as you've got hope, you'll find your way. There's power in the thoughts that you think there's power in the words you say.